Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of 2020. In this episode, I thought I'd do something a little different and count down the top 10 episodes of 2020. 10. In spot number 10, we have Michael Chu hosting Amy Radio. Amy leveraged her personal frustration uh, with lack of closing options into a sustainable business called The Kirby Shop. Ultimately, winning the inaugural ATB Financial Build Her Business crowdfunding competition. She shares her thoughts around the future of clothing and personal lessons navigating her diverse career that included public accounting, logistics, and bootstrapping her startup. I think one of the, just as you you being an instructor talking to students, and I know you've always been also have been a mentor for some of the CPA students who's going through the program, and I have done that as well in the past. Um, I think some of the questions they always get is like, can you, a lot of preconceptions people, some of the students come to us as is that the traditional accounting careers, right? Because I've always heard a lot of pe- students come to me and I say, oh, I want to be as a, uh, you know, a, a senior by this many years and then be a, a manager by so many years and go to the industry and be a controller by so many years and be a CFO by so many years. Do you still that, now that you've done more work around kind of entrepreneurship and then you have kind of worked in different areas that's outside of finance. Do you think that's still the traditional accounting kind of role? Do you still that seeing a route to go in the future? Or is it still going to be widely applicable? Or are you going to see more people going to be branching out of different areas using their finance skills like you talked about? That's a really good question. I guess, yeah, I feel like right now in finance, there is a lot of uncertainty because we are seeing like more automation coming in, robotics, like data analytics, things like that. Um, I mean, I think there there is always going to be a need for those traditional skills, but I, I don't think we'll see it in the prevalence that we like that we did say, I don't know, 15 years ago when when I was articling. Um and I think we've even seen that through like the change to the CPA program and the practical work experience requirements. Like a lot of those entry level jobs of like you start in accounts payable or, you know, general accounting clerk or things like that. A lot of those roles have gone away um, that they're, you know, they're being automated or they're being offshored or, or things like that. So yeah, I th- I feel like we're in a funny time right now where it's like where do you where do you get that entry level role and then how do you like how do you transform yourself like what other skills do people need for the finance function of the future? You know, I you're always I think you're always going to need those people who can yes, you're going to have like things that are automated or, you know, crunching data, things like that. But you still need people to interpret that data and tell the story behind it. Nine. The number nine spot 
we have Christopher Drobot from Edmonton hosting Mac Mail from Taproot Publishing. Mac is an entrepreneurial journalist. He shares with us a story within the Edmonton tech community from the early days in the pre.com area through to now. Along the way, he shares some great words of wisdom regarding how to make your venture stick while also advising people to recognize when the time is right to move on. Uh, so you have had some involvement as well with, uh, with Rainforest and you know, you've come out to present, you've been you know, coming to some of the meetings, connectors. Tell us about your thoughts on Rainforest as a group and kind of its role within the ecosystem. I think it's a, another example of the supports that are available, right? It's another community of people. One of the things that's interesting to me about Rainforest is that when I go there, you know, I know a lot of people in the community. There's a few familiar faces, but there's often a lot of people that I don't know. And I think that's a really positive thing. The more opportunity we have to widen the circle, you know, to uh, to gather more people under the umbrella, uh, the better, I think. And lots of these organizations do that because they tap into different networks, uh, uh, different communities of, of people. And Rainforest is a good example of that. Um, I don't get the name. I still don't get the name. I know there's a book and I get the concept and all of that. But, you know, we live in, we live in Alberta. Like, there's no rainforest here. It's a bit confusing to me. Um, but if you want to understand it, you can go read the you know, the backstory and everything like that. I like what, you know, Rainforest has tried to do though around bringing also some um, ethics, I suppose, into the, uh, into the community. I think that's an important thing. Um, so yeah, it's, to me, it's another way to broaden the circle. Eight. In spot number eight, Michael Chu again hosts Dr. Byron Chu. Dr. Byron Chu is a project manager with Callisto. Byron talks about why it's important to teach students computational thinking and what Callisto is doing to bring computational thinking to grades 5 to 12 classrooms across Canada. You know, it sounds like you guys are ready to go online and offline. So it sounds like you guys have a pretty robust program going on there. Um, I'm kind of trying to marry kind of the two perspective a bit more, maybe from a parent's perspective. Is So is Calypso's program, is it additional kind of learning that students are taking on or is it something that is incorporated in the current school programs, at least in Alberta? Sure. Yeah. So for, uh, yeah, how Callisto, I guess, is used in the classroom. So right now we have a combination of things that we're doing. So we make resources that are aligned with curriculum and across, you know, different subject areas. And that can be found on our website, callisto.ca. Um, teachers and students, if they want to, they can use that in their classrooms. Um, Teachers themselves um, may consider this more of an extracurricular activity. Um, parents might consider this more of an extracurricular activity. So they can, if they, they want, they can choose to do that sort of or make that available as an extracurricular activity. Um, but some teachers um, that we know have taken this into their classroom and tried to use it with their classrooms as well. Um, so it really it really depends on, um, you know, what you what the teacher wants to do with their with their classrooms. Um, we encourage as many teachers as possible to try it out in their classrooms and to really get comfortable with it. Um, Cause we think there is a lot of, you know, importance um, with respect to computational thinking and data science, even though it's not, you know, in the curriculum currently. So it's, it's definitely um, something where it's coming, I'd say in a lot of places. Um, so you can see in Ontario recently, they, they've adapted their curriculum to include code, coding, for example, um, starting in the fall, it seems like. So, you know, in a lot of places it's changing and it's being added to curriculum. So we encourage 
different teachers and students to try it out and parents to try it out too. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, in the classroom. It could also be at home as well. All of our resources are available. I guess another aspect to it as well is that in terms of extracurricular activities, we work with other STEM groups as well. So one group is called the STEM Fellowship. And each year, annually, since about 2015, they've held a big data high school challenge. And so that's a pretty exciting opportunity to apply these skills, these data science skills, these coding skills, these computational thinking skills, um, and using open data to try to you know, address a challenge. Um, it may not be you know, part of your school. It's an extracurricular activity, but it's an exciting way to actually then um, apply some of the things that we're trying to teach as well and apply that to a challenge um, that's quite fun uh, for everyone involved. Seven. In spot number seven, Mark Shields hosts Sophia Tang. Sophia is a social entrepreneur and founder of CoRise. She chats with Mark about food waste and her decision to start a company with a mission to end food waste by upcycling food in Alberta. Um, one of the things I, uh, when I've been having these conversations that I, I like to ask and get to the bottom of is, you know, just from the, the perspective of getting a, a company going, you know, the, or whenever we're talking about uh, companies with a, a social or mission or a purpose-driven uh, companies, you know, there's, there's that whole purpose aspect that, of course, is uh, you know, quite a challenge in and of itself. But just when it comes to um, establishing and running the, the day-to-day operations of your company, uh, how... Have you felt uh, that's um, kind of impacted you? Have you been caught by surprise by anything? Um, yeah, is there kind of anything innovative in that model? Or what's been your experience with the, the sort of uh, brass, uh, brass tax, so to speak? <laughs> so there's definitely, I mean, challenges um, that I had to overcome and just pivot in my operations in just the last six months or a year alone. Um, some of the examples um, that I try to tackle Um, one of the things is obviously environmental and reducing food waste. And for me, um, it's great to reduce food waste um, in terms of baking fresh foods, but I really want to make sure that I'm not contributing more to the problem because it's, it's almost like a a vicious cycle, right? If I, if I upcycle food waste to fresh bread and I don't have enough people to buy the bread, then it goes back into the food waste loop. So I want to make sure that it is shelf stable, that um, there's a long life cycle and that is accessible to everybody, not just here locally within five blocks, um, that it could be accessible to anywhere um, if it is, let's just say, a dehydrated powder. Um, one of the things that I had to really overcome was sustainable packaging. So fighting the food waste issue and sustainable packaging, some might think that it's a easy fix, but it really isn't. And with our society, we haven't, um, we haven't, we don't have the technology to come up with uh, an innovative way to to recycle or compost as a whole. Um, when I was sourcing out, let's just say compostable packaging, uh, there has to be certain requirements, even here locally in Calgary, that it has to break down within. I think it was like seven to ten or fourteen days in our cycle in a recycling system. And on that note, if it breaks down that fast, that is not going to help my shelf life at all. So I really had to battle those moments where I'm like, okay, well, you know, Mark, am I interested in sustainable packaging or I'm interested in reducing food waste? That is almost the number one global um, emission emitter out there. 
So I had to really go back to the drawing board and say, you know what, until there is a very sustainable package um, that will extend the shelf life of, uh, of my products, um, right now it's just not feasible. But that's not to say that I'm, I'm just giving up on that. Uh, I am working with a couple of the manufacturers to make sure that they are coming with sustainable, compostable, recyclable packages um, that can be, I guess, um, processed here locally in Calgary. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but there's like these crazy articles too, that only 9% of all recycled products in Canada are actually recycled. Most of them end up in landfill because the city doesn't have the capacity to process all of it. Or um, if it does say compostable, it's actually not fully compostable. It has to be in your backyard, which I don't know about you, but I don't have a backyard and I don't, I can't compost it. And if we just put it in the compost bin, it actually just gets diverted back to the landfill because our city cannot handle it. So that's one of the biggest challenge. I think anybody coming into this space, whether they're doing food, whether they're doing, you know, um, let's just say, uh, I don't know, toys, they, when they're looking at sustainable packaging, that's going to be a huge challenge. But um, I'm also hopeful on that. It's something that um, I guess, society is going to to demand um, that we have more choices out there. Six. In spot number six, we have Adam Ludgate as he hosts Jason Ribeiro. Jason is the Director of Strategy for Calgary Economic Development. They discuss Calgary Economic Development and its role in Calgary, the future of work, attracting product companies to Calgary, attracting and retaining talent in Calgary, the effectiveness of the Calgary Economic Development and other public policies, including the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund. And going back on the, the comment about the, you know, getting people when they're early, um, earlier in their uh, education, I, I have experienced a similar thing. I did a computer science degree at the University of Calgary, and I remember um, the, the people who were the top of the class were instantly at Facebook, Amazon, Google, Stripe, you know, poached down to the valley. And, and if we can catch these, these kind of people early and give them exciting technical challenges to work on, they're not going to go away. And that's going to, you know, play to our advantage hugely. So I, I love the initiative and the focus on, you know, bringing people in early and, and getting their attention early. Yeah. And, and one of the things I'll just, I'll just buttress that point uh, because it's come up in a couple of conversations that I've had is, you know, for, for companies, uh, tech companies in particular in this space that have a presence in Calgary, you know, this is a really welcome opportunity to, I think, um, you know, create a, a brand relationship with Calgarians. You know, one of the, the theories that I've, I've had, um, um, you know, having the perspective of, of coming to this place um, from, from another market that was just over the hump as I started to leave in Toronto from a tech perspective. And, and I'm sure, you know, many guests on on the podcast have pointed out, um, it's, it's not the, uh, you know, romantic, you know, tech friendly jurisdiction, uh, you know, it's, it's built to be now there were some supreme challenges in that ecosystem there. Um, some investments that had gone poorly, you know, ecosystems rallying around, um, things that you wouldn't expect. Um, and so certainly I apply a lot of those lessons here, but one of the things I think that I've noticed over a period of time is that, you know, we have such brand recognition with established ca uh, companies in Calgary that have operated over a number of years. Um, the the Suncors, the Synovuses, you know, particularly within the the energy space, 
And, you know, to, to their credit, and it's not just because they had the dollars to commit um, when the price of oil was high, um, you know, they've stretched budgets to continue to sponsor these, you know, pancake breakfasts and community uh, walkathons and runs. And the, the, the brand relationship with the community is, 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 has always been very high, even as, you know, energy transitioned from, you know, the one individual who was, was the maverick into the, the financier operations and M&A. It's, it's always been consistent. And what I think the tech community has a real, real opportunity here is to, again, embrace that sort of democratization of the tech experience and, and be involved in every facet of the community building here. And I know it's tough. And I know that uh, it's, it's um, you know, uh, a unique experience to, to build a tech company and scale a tech company in a market like this that's undergoing the structural change in its biggest industry. Um, but at the same point in time, I think that the K-12 opportunity, the opportunity that you just presented from some of your classmates, what if those opportunities were with the, you know, and I could insert name here of Calgary Tech Company that just had, you know, you can think of the last few that have done Series A, Series B, uh, B raises in our community. What is their relationship to not only those upside programs, but the communities where eventually parents like yourself or me are going to potentially send their kids, um, uh, you know, uh, opportunities where you say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be this. And maybe you do it for X company. Who is going to fill that void? And so I think, you know, anchor investments like, you know, the State Digital Transformation Talent Hub and the school, but Platform and others present this very, very opportune moment for Calgary tech companies to establish that very, very direct relationship with Calgarians and understand that they can be a part of this economic future that, uh, that we have a part in, uh, but that, that more importantly, our children can be a part in, and, uh, in the future. And so that's the, the long-term commitment that I'm super excited, uh, for and, and would encourage the, the tech community to really grab hold of. Five. In spot number five, again, we have Christopher Drobot and he hosts Anthony Nagendaraj. Uh, Anthony is the co-founder of Spontively. Anthony shares with us his own experience having moved and traveled extensively for both personal and professional reasons, and how those experiences helped shape his idea of and the importance of community. He traces through his corporate and public sector background to share with us how, through Spontively, he is able to solve his big problem, the lack of real connectivity people are experiencing in this digitally connected world. What is exciting about Alberta or about Edmonton that makes you decide to start a company here? We get asked that question a lot. We were out in Silicon Valley pitching and they asked, a lot of people have asked us, why Edmonton? And my question then is, why not, right? Edmonton is really unique. You know, I grew up in Montreal. I've seen Toronto. I've been, been to a number of cities, but Edmonton, Edmonton is really unique. It's a, it's a big city with a small town feel. I'm basically two, we're basically two degrees of separation from from somebody, right? You don't get that a lot. And I, and I also think Edmonton, the people is what makes it valuable, right? Like if people understand what you're doing and believe in it, they'll go out to bat for you. You don't find that a lot in the bigger urban cities. And that's why we're really bullish about Edmonton. I think talent level, I think we can really compete with the Silicon Valley. I, I, I really believe that. Uh, we have the third largest AI hub in the world. We're doing some really cool stuff about Edmonton in Edmonton that we, uh, that we, that a lot of people are not aware of it. 
Do you guys uh, make use of that AI piece in? Yeah, we currently are. We're we're using a little bit of AI to when you create uh, these activities on our platform, we're checking images and we're using a little bit upfront. Uh, later on, we're going to be working with it once we're collecting more and more data on the recommendation side of things. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Four. And in the fourth spot. I myself host Greg Hart from Thin Air Labs. He's a design partner there. Greg talks about how he went from a quiet childhood to becoming a young entrepreneur rocking through to leading world-changing organizations. Greg looks at things differently through the eyes of design and creative thinking. He believes that there are better ways of doing things in nearly every aspect of life. And he's not just thinking about it, he's making it happen. One of the things that popped into my head as, as you were talking is you sort of started out with kinesiology and then you're teaching design thinking. And how did that happen? <laughs> That's, I've been asked that question a couple of times. That's for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, how that happened is, uh, as I said, I kind of took a slightly different path when I headed into the, of the world of what ended up being what might be called macro ergonomics. And I did some independent scholarship and I published a few papers and presented at conferences and did stuff where I was really looking at the linkages between sort of the fundamentals of human nature and the way that we show up at work. And so that has always fascinated me and has pretty much animated all the work that I've done for the last 30 years and in some form or another. And, and so uh, you know, there's a lot about how we experience the world as humans, which is really not conscious to us. I mean, we operate with the sense that we're paying attention and we can see things happening, whatever, but we know, you know, conclusively that we actually uh, experience very little in the moment. And um, we're affected by a bunch of stuff in our surroundings that helps us decide how we're going to do things at a subconscious level. And and so I've always been fascinated with that part of, you know, creating the conditions. And um, so to me, design is really a process of creating conditions so that we get outcomes that we want. Successful outcomes flow from good design, which means thinking about the things that we don't notice and making them work in such a way that they work together with us to produce the thing we want. And so that is like the connection that flowed through that. And then the thing that it was sort of a layer on top of that was I was doing a project many years ago in a meat like a slaughterhouse. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've got to see all sorts of weird work in my career, but, um, and, I, and really struggling to see, you know, why certain um, injuries occurred to groups of people. And it never lined up with exactly the things I expected it to look sort of like on a purely physical level. And then just by accident discovered that the, the pattern followed um, changes in supervisors as they rotated supervisors through the, through the plant. And so going and then finding out that one of those supervisors, that every time that supervisor came into a new line, there was sort of a rooster tail of injuries that would show up behind him. And I mean, it turned out that the guy was just an asshole. <laughs> and so, um, and we've all met those kinds of supervisors in our lives. And, 
And and in those circumstances, people, it's not like you can go and tell the powers that be that that's what's going on, but it is appropriate, you know, like reporting injuries and even the tensions that change physically of working in those kinds of environments increase the, the risk. And even to this day, the number one correlation with pain at work is job uh, satisfaction. The less satisfied people are with their work, the more likely they are um, to be in pain, which doesn't mean that their pain or the injuries they're experiencing are not real, but it just shows you this layer, which is just gigantic, which is um, sort of an organizational dimension of uh, keeping a human experience flowing at work. Three. And number three, we have Adam Lydgate, and he hosts both Chris Reed and Jeff Adamson with Neo Financial. Uh, they're both founders. Adam speaks with Chris and Jeff about Neo Financial, the Canadian banking industry, tech startups on the prairies, Alberta tech innovation, the landscape of reward programs, the state of employment and work in Alberta, and the technical challenges involved in creating a new credit card company. So kind of on that, on the point about merchants and uptake, now I know uh, you guys had run a program uh, earlier in 2020, your initial kind of launch where you kind of had your beta customers and you issued some number of cards, I think. Um, so I'd be curious to know what the growth has been like on the consumer side and also on the businesses side, right? Like how many businesses are actually are now on board? Um, is that number something that you can disclose? Because I'm just curious. And, and yeah, like what's the uptake looking like and what cities are you in and what are the cust- what are the actual end customers looking like right now? Yeah. So I think the, I mean the last, so the majority of this year has been really focused on building and I think it's been building on the tech side. It's been building on the, the merchant network side. And, and so I'll speak to the, the merchant side, the, the uptake, I think there, there's, there's been a strong desire, I think for a while for there to be a way for merchants to grow that isn't cost prohibitive. And, and I think that um, we, you were talking about air miles, like that's not available to your everyday coffee shop. That's not available to even your mid market brands. Um, and so we've, we've seen a huge uptake. So, I mean, across even just Western Canada, we've had about 2,500 uh, brands join, uh, join Neo with about three to 400 joining every month. So it's been, it's been very, very promising to see, that, that uptake. And, and again, I think that's partially because we've really removed a lot of the friction from getting them started. It's one thing we learned um, that people may want to work with you, but if it's a ton of work to work with you, then they just have other things to go. And, and then again, this is all under the, the kind of specter of, of COVID-19 as well. And so even despite the fact that people are, the ground is shifting beneath their feet, we've been able to build these great relationships and that, that could be, you know, a place like Lena's grocery or Phil and Sebastian coffee roasters, you know, to, to some larger brands like Sentara or, or Earl's. Um, so there's, there's really been some positive feedback on that front. Um, and now Chris, maybe on the tech side, I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about what the what kind of different features and product that we built. Yeah. So as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we, we launched a credit card, you know, a MasterCard, a real MasterCard with real credit, um, and then followed it up with uh, a savings account that pays one of the highest interest rates in the country. And uh, launching those two products, you know, back to back, and really having them out of the gate, uh, definitely a, a you know a big challenge, and I think a big differentiator, and uh, you know, gives us the ability to 
you know, not only attract customers who want you know a spending tool, who want that Mastercard they can use everywhere, but even customers who maybe you know aren't interested in credit or have you know a lower amount of credit, they can get tremendous value out of the savings account features. And and each of those products has so many little things that you know Neo tries to do to stand apart. Um, whether it's hey, let's just make it easier to move money from your savings account at Neo to your credit card, you know, instantly, um, or whether it's, Hey, let's make sure we do a great job, you know, notifying you when your, your payments are due so that you don't, you know, fall behind. And, uh, you know, let's make sure we're really, really transparent about, um, the activity happening on your card. Let's give you the ability to freeze your card or unfreeze your card at will. Right. So you can say, Oh, you know, something strange happened, freeze the card. Oh no! It was actually that place I shopped on the weekend. Unfreeze the card, um, and those kinds of little features. Um, there, are, there are dozens of them, probably more than I can talk about on uh, you know on this call that we've just added in uh, week after week in Neo. Two, episode two, another one with Adam Legate as he hosts Randy Thompson from Valhalla Private Capital, the chairman and CEO. Adam and Randy discuss the angel and investment community in Alberta, the process and difficulties in building and running a formal angel investment group, the role of government in the startup and investment world, what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, failure in entrepreneurship, and professional sports team ownership. What are the startups that you think um, in Alberta that are not getting talked about enough? You know, I find that a lot of the startups you go to these um, kind of big events, Startup Calgary, and there's some cool startups there and they're being featured, but there's a lot of people that aren't showing their face there. And there's a number of reasons why they may not be there. Um, and a lot of them are doing some cool things and maybe as that they haven't got time, even got time there, they're, you know, swimming up a waterfall of client yeah. business or whatever it might be. And I'd like to, you know, if you have anybody that you yeah, find you know, interesting that we can talk about. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm not usually a politician, but I'm going to be a politician on it and I'm not intending to be. I hate uh, answering that question it, uh, the way it's asked. I, I like, we have to do these top 10 companies because if I was an entrepreneur, I need that award to actually help with fundraising, For et cetera. Sure. But I've, it's interesting. I like, there's almost a cycle to startup, startupness where what you do, sorry about that. Uh, there's a clicking pen. Sorry about that. Uh, when you're a startup, sometimes you don't do startup really well. And then you have this aha moment, like, geez, we need to get a check. Our customers aren't paying us. How do we do it? Then you have this aha moment. So that, that we call that valley of death stage. You do really well. Um, there's companies that do startup really well. They're out there. They win all the awards. They do, then they hit this, this wall about they can only collect so much revenue from customers. They don't pivot into a brand new um uh, business model, which doesn't allow them to, to go really big. And so they were really cool. And we all talked about them. And so that's why I hate piling on is I don't want to give any of those people uh, props because when they, when we need them to be mature companies, hiring 30 or 50 Albertans, they actually didn't get out of startup. They were too busy getting awards that they didn't actually, you know, migrate into the third phase. So I find I've had a couple of investments where I wrote the investment off. I was done with it. In fact, I've got one right now. Um, I was on the I was on the board. I was part of the corporate team. 
um, we raised over $3 million. This company I'd written off just got in with like AT&T and Verizon and it, it's been, it's 11 years old and the tech is now being incorporated by massive telecoms. So it, I would never have mentioned this company, you know, six years ago, but now I'm going, holy cow, am I ever excited? I would love to have had it less than 11 years, um, which is also one of the issues in angel financing. One. And the number one most listened to episode Again, Adam Ludgate, this time hosting Nicholas Beek, founder and CEO of Halcyum. Learn about Nicholas and his ability to keep his eye out for problems and then implement creative solutions to help businesses with their e-commerce and financial technology requirements through his company, Halcyum. The fintech industry is complicated and filled with dinosaurs who are slow to change and implement new technologies. Um, so talk about the startup culture here at your company and what it's like to, you know, bring people in and keep, and keep people engaged and how that's I going. I think that, um, I think that there, there's lots of, you know, you always hear the story about it's hard to find, um, experienced talent in Calgary. And I think that there's, there's a truth to that. I think it's going to be another like five or 10 years before that kind of next generation of people going through the startup scene right now are going to have all that, that experience, um, uh, so to feel like there's an, like a mature ecosystem, but in terms of the, um, the, the f- kind of young grads and fresh grads that are, you know, we have some really strong schools in Calgary. Uh, we're particular fans of SAIT and, and some of their programs, including their, their object oriented, uh, programming, you know, two year course. Um, so it, it's, as long as the companies are willing to invest into training the talent, um, I think that there's, you're, you don't have a shortage of candidates. If you're looking for somebody that has like eight years of database cluster space or like intense iOS development or things like that, yeah, that's harder to find in Calgary. But if you're looking for somebody that's, that's young and like ready to learn and you're gonna have to invest, you know, three, six months into them, but they're going to be really thankful for that investment. Um, you just have to change the way you look at recruitment and your organization. And yes, it'll take you a little bit longer. You know, it's harder to scale up to 500 people in Calgary really fast and just have all this experience. You can't, but, um, in terms of culture, if you're the type of company that is willing to invest into its people and train them, um, you're going to have a lot of residual gratitude from that. And I think that's, you know, we have this amazing retention rate at our company. Um, and, and I think it's part of that because we're just willing to step up and, and train them. I hope you enjoyed this episode and our top 10 countdown for the year 2020. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, because we wouldn't want you to miss a single episode as we continue into the new year in 2021. Also, if you're interested in being a host of the podcast or perhaps one of our guests, please do reach out and send an email to rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. It's easy, it's fun, and a great way to meet people. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage. Inspire. Educate. Together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. 
Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.